Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88,000. In life, how many of y'all know sooner or later everybody is going to have a giant to face? You're going to have some things that you're going to have to overcome. Uh, it, and, and a lot of times it, it'll feel like these things are impossible to overcome, seemingly at least. And uh, if you face it, then you could overcome it. But if you don't face it, it will wind up affecting every other area of your life. Uh, so in the Bible, one of the most famous stories is David and Goliath. How many of y'all have ever heard the story of David and Goliath before, okay? Ever seen it on a flannel board ever before in a Sunday school classroom? Come on now. Uh, I think we need to bring the flannel boards back. It probably will come back. You know, everything's kind of cyclical as far as trends and all that kind of stuff. But this story, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing. And in 1 Samuel, what happens is it catapults David uh, onto the scene from a shepherd boy to what would become the, the anointed king of Israel. And, and he goes from taking care of sheep to having like cheerleaders writing new cheers and songs about him in a very short amount of time. But this story is also a prophetic foreshadowing uh, of, of who Jesus is. You can see Jesus in it. David, he slew his giant, but Jesus slew the ultimate giant of sin and cut off its head, amen? Uh, the story also teaches us how to live, how to live life, uh, sold out for God uh, in the face of huge obstacles. And, and that's not always easy to do. You're gonna face your own Goliaths in life. It will happen. Uh, any obstacle that's like that, any obstacle that it just seems huge, any obstacle that would have the tendency to tempt you to be anxious or fearful or, or be confused, uh, whatever that would be, I would encourage you, anytime that comes up, go ahead and name it Goliath. Hey, what's going on? Tell me about this thing. Oh, this is my Goliath right now. Just go ahead and call it a Goliath because you know how it's gonna end for it. Go ahead and name it what it is, even in the midst of it, because you know in the end, it's gonna get its head cut off. But all of us have had those things in our life, those things that feel so huge and daunting. So I wanna talk about Goliath first. Well, how do you know? How do you know that Goliath has come to town? Goliath looms large. 1 Samuel chapter 17, if you have your Bibles, Bible apps, we'll have it on the screen as well. This is the NIV version. It says, the Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites the other. With the valley between them, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span. Everybody say, real tall. Okay, he had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod. How many of y'all know what a weaver's rod is? Me neither, but it's real big. It's, it's all real big. Everything about this is large. And its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. In other words, like everything that he had was so big, including his shield, he had to have like another full-grown man just to carry his shield. 
That's how big this guy is, all right? Laying all this out, just showing us, oh my goodness. Goliath stood and shouted at the ranks of Israel. Why do, you, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let, him, let us fight each other. So everything about this, everything describing him seems really big, hovering over them. Anybody ever had a bully in your life that tried to do this to you, try to intimidate you? Now, I'm not talking about the keyboard warriors. Like I'm talking about like real people, like in person, like you growing up, you had somebody like this. I know I did. Uh, when I was in junior high, there was this kid, his name was Gabe. And, uh, and, and just to be honest, when I first met him, I thought he was one of the maintenance men uh, because he was an eighth grader, but, but he had been held back a couple of times. He had a full uh, goatee and, and, uh, and he, was, he was a big kid. He was a big kid and he was really intimidating. And, and I don't know what happened, but some rumor got started that I was, was talking bad about him. So I show up to school one morning and he comes up to me and he's just like, hey, I wanna let you know, I'm gonna be waiting out by the flagpole for you, or with, for you after school. I want you to meet me out by the flagpole. I'm like, I'm like, like what, what to pray? Or like, what, like, you know, something like, see at the pole? I don't think that's this time of year, you know? And, and he, he's like, oh, you know what this is about. I'm like, I, I don't know what it's about. And, uh, but, but he made it clear that he intended to hurt me uh, badly. And so, so that was at the beginning of the day. So how many of y'all know, I am thinking about that all day long. Like, I'm just like, oh my, like, I'm gonna die. Like this, this guy, he's huge. Plus in the area I lived in, in, in Southwest Colorado, uh, the, that's close to the Navajo Nation. And this, he, this kid was Navajo. So then all of a sudden, not only am I picturing him just beating the tar out of me, but I'm like, he's gonna scout me when he's done. Like this, <laughs> that's what he's gonna do. This is gonna happen. And, uh, and so he was just, it was just all day long just thinking about this. I'm like, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? Well, I did what I did, the thing that, that you know, every brave young man my age did. And as soon as school was over, I snuck out the back door and got on my bus as soon as I possibly could and just got out of there. He didn't know I was a bus driver. I'm like, what, you think I'm gonna miss the bus to go fight you? No, because then I'd have to face mama. And I'd rather face you than face mama if I miss the bus. And so I, I just got out of the situation. But when you're facing those types of things, how many of y'all know it consumes everything? It consumes all your thinking, all your thoughts. This this thing that's bigger than me, and I can't figure it out. And all of you are gonna have something like this. So here's the question, who or what have been your giants in life? An unfaithful spouse, an abusive parent, terrible boss, mean spiritual leaders, a struggling kid. Maybe it's financial giants, career giants, health giants, addiction giants. You know these moments when you face these giants are also defining moments of your life. Like, will I advance or will I retreat? Will I just fold? A couple things about Goliath, it affects your emotions. 
Verse 11 says, On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. So this is like, this is fear in a huge way. Because they're hearing one man talk and an entire army is crippled in fear. Here's the thing. When you have that kind of thing in your life, you're gonna probably think about it at least once every five minutes. Like it's just gonna constantly be in your thinking. It's gonna keep popping back up again. But I wanna give you some pastoral advice. As a brother in Christ, never, ever make a decision based in fear. Because the moment that you make a decision based in fear, fear becomes a stronghold in your life. It has a foothold. You will become its slave. It'll wind up translating in a lot of other areas where you'll be fearful as well. I, I know that all of us at one point or another had to face some fear. As kids, I'm sure we all had different things that we were afraid of. And some of y'all, you've let that fear translate into adulthood too. Like what is it that trained us to be afraid of spiders? What is it that trained us to be afraid of snakes? What is it that trained us to be afraid of heights? Trained us to be afraid of the dark. I know I, I had a little bit of fear of the dark when I was a little kid. I, I've described this before, but it was like, Anytime I would be out after dark and I had to go do something outside, I always had this picture in my mind of this, this creature that was going to get me. Like every time I went out. And, and for whatever reason, like I would tell my parents about this, but I, don't, I think they were honestly, it was their way of helping me overcome my fear. But they kept sending me outside after dark to do stuff. And so I remember like I would try to act real bold and brave as I was walking out but then whenever I was done doing whatever I was supposed to be doing out there, how many of y'all know that's when you find out just how fast you can run back to the house, right? James, take out the trash. All right. <clears throat> trash. Taking it out. Do the dumpster. Don't like being out here. Throw it in the dumpster. Man, I tell you, I, I, that's how I, I actually was pretty fast in junior high. And I think it was because of all the training I did at night, running back to the house away from this thing that wasn't really there. But you know what it was? It was spiritual. And I remember the night that I got ready to turn and sprint back to the house. And I stopped. And I remember literally turning away from the house and into the darkness. And I yelled, no, I am done running. I am done running. I'm not gonna be afraid of this. I'm not gonna be fearful of anything. In Jesus' name, I speak against this fear. And I'll tell you, it may sound silly, but it wasn't because I guarantee you that that set a precedence for my life. And some of y'all, you need to do some facing the darkness and some declaring over your fear. But this is what Goliath will do. Goliath also just won't leave you alone. 
It says in verse 16, for 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Every morning, every evening. Y'all ever had people come around you, maybe they're over hanging out of your house, and they're not great at picking up on cues on when it's time to go home? You ever had anybody like this? Like, man, we're glad y'all came over. Whoo, oh, ooh. Gotta be an early morning. And they're like, yeah, yeah. And then they just keep hanging out. I learned from Pastor Rick a great way to deal with this. If you got people, they're over, they're hanging out, and they're not going home, just go to bed. It gets really awkward for them when the host is already in bed. And that's what Pastor Rick would do. It was the funniest thing. Like a, a group of people would be hanging at his house and he'd get to like nine o'clock. He's like, all right, love y'all. I'm heading to bed. And everybody's like, oh, okay, well, I guess we'll go too then. Home. <laughs> I had an old preacher friend that would say it this way. Hey, y'all don't have to go home but you can't stay here, okay? You, you gotta, somewhere else. Well, this is what that thing in your life will be like. It, it, it will not go away. You can't wish this thing away. You can't bury your head. When you just try to pretend like this thing isn't there, just try to pretend, it's kind of like playing hide and seek with a kid. When you play hide and seek with a little kid, like a really young kid, how many of y'all know that like they will think that as long as you can't see their face, they're hidden, right? So they'll just like stick their head behind the couch, but the rest of their body will be sticking out. And you're like, I can see you. And they're like, no, you can't. Can't see my face. Well, that's how ridiculous it is when you have a giant in your life that you refuse to face, refuse to deal with, and you think you can just ignore it. Pretend like it's not there. It's the same thing. You're gonna open your eyes, he's still gonna be there. 10 days, 20 days, 40 days, years later. He's hanging around, he's mocking, tormenting. He's saying, look, you're gonna have to kill me because I'm not gonna leave. What's Satan's perspective in the fight? Satan's perspective, perspective in the fight, okay? So if he's looking at this from the other side, first of all, Satan wants you to fight alone. You gotta understand this tactic. Uh, Goliath says, send me one of your best warriors, but this is not uncommon in battle and certainly not uncommon for the Philistines because uh, they were actually a seafaring people that made landfall, but they're trying to find a new homeland. And so they know, hey, this makes a lot of sense. Let's just send our best guy to beat their best guy and it, saves thousands of lives. We don't have a huge army, so let's just do it that way. It was just the logical method of doing battle. Uh, and, but this is exactly what the enemy would love to do too. He would love to get you to go and fight your battles alone. But God always meant for you to fight your battles with your family. He meant for your battles to be a family affair. I remember this big family in one of the hometowns I grew up uh, their, their names are the Archulettas. They had 13 kids. And the nine oldest were all boys. And here's the thing. How many of y'all know you didn't mess with the Archulettas? You did not mess with the Archulettas because if you messed with one of them, you got the whole family. And the girls are scrappers too. 
I mean, they, they straight up take the earrings out. They take their heels off. Like, they would, they, they would fight, too. See, nobody messed with the Archuletas. But I remember my brother and I, we were trying to start our own little, like, lawn mowing company. We just wanted to mow a couple yards, make a little extra cash. The problem was the Archuletas had a lawn mowing company, too. So I remember, like, we had to be really careful as we were going around trying to start our little lawn mowing business that we didn't infringe on their territory. Like there were certain areas of the town, it's like, and, and they would let us know. It's like, hey, just so you know, you can't, you can't mow yards over here. No, this is, yeah, this is where we mow the yards. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> he, they were friends with Gabe. They were kind of all together. They did stuff together. And so, so you, but you just didn't mess. There was just so much, it seems so intimidating how unified they were. How many of y'all know that's what the body of Christ should look like to the enemy? How many of y'all know that the body of Christ should be so intimidating to the enemy that he would never dare mess with one of its members? Well, the truth is so much of that has to do with your willingness to let the family help you fight. To not be so prideful, to not be so embarrassed, whatever it might be, to not let the family get involved. Look, we need to pray as a team. We should serve like an army and we should fight like a family. And it should be personal to all of us when one of our family members is in a fight. Look, we've had so many struggles in our life and, and, and whether it was health issues or struggling with one of our kids, whatever it is, there's always been the initial temptation to say, okay, let's just, let's just keep this among us. We just, let's just keep it as a family. It's so foolish. Why wouldn't we want hundreds of people agreeing in prayer with us that God is gonna have the victory? No matter what the struggle, the enemy wants you to fight alone, but you don't have to. Satan also has a larger strategy than just this one battle. Like I said, the Philistines didn't just want to win this battle. They wanted to take way more of the country. If they win this particular battle, they would take over the hill country of Judah, which gives them a strategic advantage. If they had that, they were going to be able to take off one other, another territory, one after the other, until they would have the whole country. So... When you're facing a Goliath in your life, it's easy to try to compartmentalize that that Goliath really only wants to affect that one area. Like, no, nah, it's just my health, or it's just my finances, or just a job, or an addiction. But you have to know this, the enemy, he wants all of it. And he's not gonna just, just he will lie to you, He'll, he'll get you in a place where you try to say, look, I don't, I don't really, this isn't really affecting anything else. It's not really affecting anyone else. I can just kind of keep this over here. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants your whole life. He wants to destroy every relationship you have. He, wanna, he wants to render you completely ineffective for the kingdom of God. That's his strategy. If you don't take a, few, a step and, and, and take a stand, it's going to affect your mind, your feelings. It's going to affect your actions, your family, your future, your grandkids. 
ultimately it's going to destroy your relationship with God. So we know the story. David destroys Goliath, cuts off his head. This bat flip moment, mic drop, you know. But how? (laughs) If you know anything about David, it doesn't really make sense. What was so special about David? Well, one thing was he saw the fight with spiritual eyes more than he saw it with natural eyes. In verse 23, it says this, as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion of Gath, stepped forward from the lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine, removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Do you guys see the difference between how others saw Goliath and how David saw Goliath? It's so different. Like the army's like this. Oh my goodness, he's over nine foot tall. And his armor's even heavy. He's got a big old, his spear is made out of like, it's like a, like a weaver's rod. What's a weaver's rod? I don't know, but I hear they're tall. Just look at him. And then when he talks, so aggressive, and he cusses, and it seems mean, and I think he's like a professional. It's scary. And David is like a boy in stature, but not in his heart. He's like, what? Who is this dude? uncircumcised. He hadn't even been to the doctor yet. Like, what's he even talking about? Can't let this dude talk like this. We're God's people. The big difference, David's brothers and the rest of that army have been influenced by the situation. They just hear the noise of the fear. They'd been hanging out around that. God, or David had been hanging out around God. He'd been in his presence every day. And it, he had alignment with God. And it gave him confidence that didn't make sense. Like he's almost cocky about it. I feel like a lot of times teenagers are like this. It's just like, just super cocky. Like they get to this place, it's like, man, I got this. It's no big deal. I watch them sometimes in the gym. I watch them in there. They just walk in there. They got those shirts on where they're like tore all the way down to here. I call them workout bibs. And uh, now grown men wear these too. It's, 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 what's a, it's whatever. It's your thing. And, and, but they come in and they kind of like walk like this, right? Like even if they're 130 pounds stripping wet, like they... And, and, and I mean, they're confident, man. They go over to the bench like, yeah, man, throw, yeah, throw a couple, couple 45s on each side. I'm looking at this dude, I'm like, he's gonna die. And the problem is that guy's gonna spot him, but not even that guy can spot him because he ain't strong enough to even spot him. Like he, so I'm just videotaping. I'm like, this is gonna make me famous. That bar about to cut that dude in half. And, it, and it, they're confident, Ugh. Get on that bench. Yeah. 
and they'll get it off the rack. And as long as their arm stays straight, everything's good. The moment they go past straight, even to five degrees, <laughs> you know, it's all the way down. And then they can't breathe, so they can't talk. Their friend's like, you got this, you got this. And he's like, The crazy thing is, they'll go to the second set and keep the same weight on there. Do the same thing over again. Listen, when you face your Goliath, you have to see him the way that God sees him, already defeated. And you have to see yourself the way that God sees you, more than an overcomer by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. You've already got it because of who God is in you. Not because of you. It doesn't make logical sense. The moment you think it makes sense, you've got it is the moment you're already beat. But as long as you stay in a place of humility and say, no, I am broken. I'm a sinner. <laughs> I'm walking through sanctification, but I know how God sees me and I know what his word says about me. And so this giant is already defeated. That's the way you gotta see it. You gotta look at that and say, that is not of God, with God, from God, or for God. It's gotta go down today, whatever it is. But you also gotta fight with the right weapons. Fight with the right weapons. So in verse 32, I wanna just kind of talk through this. Basically, David comes to Saul and he says, hey, what's going on? I, I, I'm, we, we can't let this happen. This is ridiculous. I'll face this guy. And then he gives him a little bit of, of his resume. He's like, hey, this is not a big deal because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a shepherd. <laughs> it's kind of dangerous. And, uh, and uh, there's been like some bears and lions and stuff and I've, I killed him. I killed him. It's not a big deal. This guy, big lions, big bears. This guy's nothing. I got this, right? So he, he's basically just saying, look, I have, I've spent the time. I, I've developed my skill. And, and if, God, if God can help me take care of bears and take care of lions, then I know that God can help me defeat this giant, okay? So he goes through all that, he describes all that, and this is such an interesting thing to me because I know that Saul is prideful, we know that, but somehow Saul makes decisions like, okay, makes sense, send the shepherd boy out. But this is what's interesting. He listens to all that and then he says, Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. So then David fastened on his sword around the tunic and tried to walk around. But because he was not used to them, he said, I cannot go with these or go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. And then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. With his sling in hand, he approached the Philistines. Look, I think this is so important. At one point or another in your life, when you are facing your battle, facing your giant, the enemy himself or other influences around you will try to convince you to use weapons that God never intended you to use that you have never been trained with, that God never asked you to use, they will be ill-fitting. They'll say, hey, 
You definitely need to jump on Facebook with this one. You definitely need to get on social media. Come on, this is the best weapon you can use right now. Go at it. But our weapons are not the weapons of this world. We use different weapons. Don't let the enemy or someone else convince you to use weapons in the battle you're in that God never intended for you to use. He's already given you what you need. He's trained you and given you the weapons that you need. So how did David fight his fight as a shepherd? That's how he fought it. A shepherd's weapons. He could kill a lion and a bear. Goliath, now this is supposed to be Saul's job, but it's not in Saul's heart to do it. But David was not just a shepherd, but he was gonna be the shepherd of Israel. He had a shepherd's heart. He had something that Saul didn't have. And when you have the heart for people that God has given you, it helps you keep the fight in a spiritual sense and not fighting with the wrong weapons. In 2 Corinthians 10, 4, it says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they had divine power to demolish strongholds. So what are the weapons? First of all, it's just faith. It's believing that God is who he is. He can do what he says he can do. It's just faith. But second of all, it's the testimony of what God has already done in your life. That's what David goes through. He's like, man, I look, I, I beat a bear, a lion. I remember when we were broke and God provided. I remember when we got a bad health report, but God brought healing. I remember when I was addicted, but God brought me freedom. I remember when one of my friends or family member died, but we were still able to trust God and walk in peace. I would encourage you, when you're facing these things, it's very important that you get historical with your testimony and not hysterical with your fear. You gotta tell it what God has already done because that's, that's where your weapon is. You are more than an overcomer by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. And your third weapon, what has God already given me to fight with right now? Prayer, the word. Not just word up here, but speaking the word, quoting scripture, the promises of God and worship. Worship. The last thing is I think you gotta run at giants. Run at them. Verse 48, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. In other words, it's this idea, look, if the enemy, or even if it's not the enemy, if it's something that is presenting itself as a giant, if you move towards me, I'm gonna move towards you. I'm gonna run at my fear. Anything you run at, any problem, as soon as you run at it, it loses authority over you because you're not letting it control your emotions and your feelings. So it isn't to say that it isn't gonna still be a problem, but it's not gonna control you because it's not controlling your mind. It's not controlling your emotions, which means it can't control your spirit. And as long as your spirit is standing strong where it's supposed to stand, then you are more than an overcomer, no matter what you're facing. The word says that the righteous are as bold as a lion. Bold as a lion. We roar and then we attack giants. 
I think one of the things that gave David some confidence was that he knew that there were already some ancestors that had already beat giants before. Remember Caleb? Remember Caleb giving the good report out of all the spies, he gave the good report of the promised land when the Israelites were in it, in the wilderness. And everybody else is saying, yeah, I mean, it's great land, but there's giants, there's big old people. Caleb's like, God's with us. God's with us. So what? He's with us. And just Caleb and Joshua, they had that report, that good report, but because of the negative report, they spent 40 years in the wilderness. But I love it. At 80 years old, when they finally were getting ready to enter into the promised land, Caleb, an 80-year-old man, he said, Caleb, hey, you've been faithful, man. You've never given up hope. You've always had faith. I think about Caleb. He had to put up with all those negative people in the wilderness for 40 years. He had the faith. But they asked him, hey, man, you can have any land that you want, anywhere. I don't know about you. I'm 80 years old. I've been hanging out in the wilderness with all these gripers and complainers for 40 years. I'm going to be like, I want the nicest stretch of beach you can give me. Like, I want, I just want to retire. I just want to just rest and relax. You know what Caleb said? He said, give me the hill country. There's still giants there to be killed. <laughs> I love that. I think that that would be the heart that God would want each of his kids to have. That kind of confidence and faith, not in who they are, but in who he is, that they face their giants with confidence. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. I don't know what your giant is. I think you should name it Goliath as soon as you can. I think you should begin to declare God's promises and his truth over your life. I don't know what the giant is and I'm not gonna pretend to say that it's not a big deal. The truth is it's a huge deal. But your God is bigger still. Your God is bigger still, and he loves you. He loves you. If you're here in this room and you just say, look, I am, I'm facing a bit of a Goliath right now. It might be relational, it might be financial, health, whatever that is. We just confess, I've got a giant. Go ahead and raise your hand right now across this room. Leave those hands up. God, we come before you and we humble ourselves and we admit that we have this and it is big and it's bigger than we can handle. But God, we go to the testimony of your faithfulness and your goodness in our own lives and that we've seen over and over again in countless other people's lives. And even if we didn't have that, God, we have the truth of your word. We have your promises over our lives. We know, God, that we have the hope of heaven. We know that you defeated death itself. And so the worst thing that could ever happen actually brings us that much closer to you in your presence. But God, I pray over every one of these situations and circumstances, and I don't know what they are, but we just declare that whatever that giant is, is a defeated foe right here, right now. God, we thank you that you're gonna give us the wisdom. You're gonna give us the words. 
You're gonna give us the fruit of the Spirit that we need to walk through this season of dealing with this giant. And God, we're gonna come out on the other side more than overcomers. We declare the truth of your word that whatever the enemy intends for evil, that you can work for good. We declare the truth of your word that everything works together for the good of those who are called and, are, and love you. And Lord, I thank you that because we love you and because we are recognizing that you are our Lord and Savior, that you will work this for good and we trust you for it. God, help us to walk in the confidence, the assuredness that you've got us. You see us. You see it. You see it. You see it. You're not slow in answering the prayers of your kids. Your timing is perfect. We thank you for that. You can put your hands down. Some of you may just feel disconnected from the whole idea and the whole concept of the confidence of who you are in Christ. Look, that can happen to believers. But there may be some of you, the reason why you feel that right now is because you don't have a relationship with Christ. If you were really honest right now, you don't have any peace inside of you. That if you die today, that you have confidence that you would spend eternity in heaven. You don't have that confidence. You have knowledge about Jesus. You have knowledge about how to do the church thing, but you've never truly surrendered to him as your Lord and Savior. If you're here today and you haven't done that, Maybe you did, but you feel distant from God. You feel separated from him. There's this void in your heart. You just don't have any sense of his presence. I'd, give you, I'd love to give you an opportunity because the truth is he wants to be near you. But the only way that he can be near you is your life has to be surrendered to him. Your life was bought with a price. Your sin was covered by the blood of Jesus. But it's only in believing that and accepting that, that that void and that emptiness and that lack of confidence, the lack of belonging that you feel in your heart, that's the only way that it can be filled. It's through Jesus. If you're here today and you know that you need him, I'm just gonna ask you to just confess it, admit it, and what I'm getting ready to ask you to do is not what saves you, but what I'm getting ready to ask you to do will help release faith in you to receive this salvation, this relationship with Jesus that he desperately wants you to have. If you're here and you're away from him, you know you need him. Nobody's looking around. Christians are praying, but if that's you, will you please put your hand up right now across this room? As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. I'm not gonna embarrass you. Yes, ma'am. Got it. Yes, ma'am. Got you, sir, over here. Got it, bro. Thank you. Anyone else? I'm just away from him. I need a relationship with Jesus today. Okay. Father God, I thank you for those few hands. I thank you, Lord, that even if it was just for them, Jesus, you would have died just for them. God, I pray that they would sense in a real strong way just how much you love them and accept them. If you raise your hand, just say this in your heart or out loud, just loud enough for your own ears to hear it. You say, Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner and I know that my sin separates me from you, but I believe that you came and you died on the cross. You paid the price for my sin. And I ask for your forgiveness, but I thank you, Jesus, that you rose from the grave. When you rose from the grave, you defeated all my sin past, present, future, Lord, 
my sin is covered. But I thank you that you defeated death itself so that I can have the hope of heaven. Lord, I wanna live my purpose for you now, but I can't do that if I wanna do my own thing. And so I surrender to you as my Lord. I want you to have control. Lord, I don't understand everything about you. I don't understand how you could love someone like me, but I wanna grow in an understanding of who I am in you and how you see me, what you think about me, what you say about me. So help me by your spirit to daily walk in genuine relationship with you. Help me to learn your character through your word. God, help me to be connected to the body of Christ so I can grow and be challenged and encouraged. I thank you for that. Lord, I thank you that you have equipped us. You've given us everything we need for life and godliness. Lord, as different ones of us are facing these giants and the rest of us, the giants to come, we thank you, God, that we're yours. We belong to you. That we'll overcome because of that. To you be the glory in Jesus' name, amen.